friends, and welcome to another ridiculous episode of Prosecco and Ponies with Tony. It has been a hot fucking minute since I've been here, right? On today's episode, I'm literally just going to talk about the top five things that I've touched. Yes, you heard that right. Things I've touched. And I know what you're thinking and know it's not dirty. It's literally just my top five things that I've touched that stay rent-free in my head. So ever since I was little, I was always a really tactile kid. I had to touch everything. I blame this on my mom. Uh, She was a young single mom and she made most of our clothes from scratch. My mom is a really gifted seamstress, but she would take me to fucking fabric land for literally hours at a time. Do you know what there is for kids to do at fabric land for hours? Nothing. Absolutely fuck all. So I entertained myself by playing with fabric and touching all of the soft things and buttons and zippers and everything that they had there. So now I just touch everything. It's ingrained in me to touch everything. Do you have a pet? Because I'm going to touch it. Does your hair look nice today? Because I'm probably going to ask you to touch it. Does this thing coming out of the oven seem hot? Probably, but I'm going to touch it anyway, just to be sure. So like I said, Here is a random list of memorable things that I've touched. All of these things are pretty much from traveling because where I live, there isn't really anything exciting or memorable to touch besides my dogs and people's butts. (laughs) But I wanted to keep this episode more fun and a little bit less sentimental because if you've listened to any other episode, you'll probably know that sometimes my stories can take a real dark turn real fast And I've also had a lot of loved ones die. So I decided to keep this list a little bit more about the coolest things or most memorable things and a little bit less sentimental because I can take a turn. See, I have no chill. So I'm just going to try to keep this really light. I wanted to start with probably my favorite thing. Like right now, as I was taking notes, this is coming into my brain as my favorite. So the last time that I was in Ireland, I literally dragged everyone I was with to St. Micken's Church in Dublin. I was desperate to go here because when I was doing my travel research, which I do a ton of, I love traveling, I read that they had mummies in the basement and that you could see them if you did a tour of the church. So obviously, I had to see this place. A little bit of history for you first, though, because you know me, I love my history, and this is my podcast, so I can do what I want. The foundation of St. Micken's Church was built in 1095 as a Norse chapel for the Vikings that were left in Ireland after the rest had either been killed or kicked out by Wolf the Quarrelsome in 1014. I mean, how fucking badass is the name Wolf the Quarrelsome, right? His story is going to be maybe a totally different episode, but I get sidetracked really easily, so I need to stay on topic here. Anyways, Wolf kicked everybody out, all the Vikings, and the ones that were left over, they made this little Norse chapel. So anyways, the church was rebuilt again in 1686. All the Vikings are pretty much gone by now. And a huge pipe organ was installed in 1724. And there's actually a story about the English composer Handel, and he is said to have composed and played his masterpiece Messiah on this thing. So this church is amazing and a really big deal for a lot of different reasons. But back to the mummies, because I can't even handle it. Get it? No? (laughs) Okay, fine. Anyway, in the crypt of the church, there are some private, family-owned tombs, and at the end of this long, dark, damp hallway, tucked off to the side, 
lie the big four in one room and then just adjacent from them in the other room are the coffins of the Shear brothers who were these two brothers from Ireland that were hanged, drawn, and quartered by the British for treason in 1798. So going back to the mummies though, the big four at St. Mickens are basically the celebrities of the church. There's an unknown woman all the way to the right in the crypt and the guide at the church said they don't really know anything about her. They just know that she's been there for a really long time and nobody really bothers her or disturbs her. The guide um, also said then the man in the middle is called the thief and he's missing parts of both of his feet and a hand. And a lot of times back in the day, thieves would like lose fingers or hands or part of their feet, whatever. But because he's buried in the church, they think that he obviously must have turned his life around and maybe become a man of God or something. And that's why he was allowed to be put in the church. Then on the left hand side at the front of the crypt, there's this woman and they call her the nun. And she's been in that spot untouched until recently for over 400 years. So that's the nun. And it's crazy because when you're in the crypt, she doesn't have shoes on, her little casket's open, and you can see her toenails and they're so wild. Like I took a really good hard look at them. They're really long and really yellow. Anyway, all the way at the back is the superstar of the group. And he is the one I was so excited for. He's the crusader. He's over 800 years old, and it's believed that he was a soldier in the Crusades that took place, uh, the Fourth Crusades from 1202 to 1204, I believe. Hopefully I'm getting those dates right. Um, for his time, though, he would have been a giant. He was over six and a half feet tall, which even now in 2020 is tall. But whoever put him in the coffin, I guess, decided that even though he was a warrior, they weren't even going to bother making him anything that he would fit into. So they just broke his fucking legs and folded them underneath him to fit him in. Like, it's crazy. So picture this. I'm in the crypt in a basement in the middle of Ireland underneath this church after having the best night of my entire life, which is an episode for later about Halloween in Transylvania. This was on the same trip that I did, but I'm so I'm already excited. I'm so pumped. I'm looking at all these mummies and the church guide looks at me and he says, do you want to touch the crusader? And literally my heart started racing so fast, but he's Irish and their humor is insane. And so you never know if they're fucking with you or not. So I'm just staring at this crazy old Irish man like, are you serious, bro? You're going to let me touch a mummy. And he says, yeah, actually, it's good luck to touch the finger on his right hand because that would have been his fighting hand. So you better fucking believe that I touched that goddamn finger. Like I was trying so hard to hold back tears. It was really long and it looked like a piece of dark brown leather was sort of just placed over the bone. And so I ran my finger along it and my heart was racing and I was covered head to toe in goosebumps because I've never touched an 800 year old person before. And my eyes were filled with tears because I was so excited. And if you know anything about me, you'll know that I get really emotional when I'm doing something kind of strange or like neat. And I was just filled to the brim with gratitude. And it was so surreal. It was so wild to think that I was touching the hand of someone that held a sword, believed probably in witches and probably killed lots and lots of people over 800 years ago. Like the feeling of his bony finger is something that I will never, ever 
ever forget. Like I can, if I close my eyes, I still remember exactly what it looked like and exactly what it felt like. Um, Something sad though that I learned when I was trying to do a little bit of research for notes for this podcast is that last February, some stupid piece of shit broke into the crypt at night and desecrated a whole bunch of the sections. They stole the head of the crusader, they decapitated the nun's body, and then another body was totally flipped over. Um, The head and the bones have been recovered. However, they had to be sent to the National Museum of Ireland because they got a bunch of water damage during the crime. So apparently people aren't allowed to touch the Crusader anymore. And I'm just so lucky that I made it in time before all of that happened. And I was able to touch his lucky finger. Oh, wink, wink. Um, (laughs) Sorry, that was so awkward. What is wrong with me? Anyway, so the next thing that really stands out in my mind got me yelled at in three different languages, but it was totally worth it. My very first time at the Louvre was super emotional. I, oh, museums, I just, I fucking can't. I'm sure I've mentioned this before many times, but art and museums and pretty much anything beautiful or creative makes me really emotional um, and I don't have any chill. So I was crying before I even got inside of the Louvre. Like I cried all of my makeup off as I was standing in line outside. So closer to the end of our trip through the museum, we ended up going through Napoleon's apartments and just to the right of the doorway on our way out, there was this big, beautiful tapestry. Like it was probably seven, eight feet tall and it was red and gold and had all these beautiful animals on it. And without even thinking, I just reached my finger out and I gently dragged my finger over a unicorn's horn. And all of a sudden, this very, very angry security lady started running towards me and yelling at me in French and English and what I think was German. It sounded German and I heard her say nine. So uh, she yelled at me in three different languages. So I, it was just a reflex though. I don't know why I did it. So I just put my hands up in a really apologetic fashion, like, oh my God, I'm sorry. And I pretended not to know any of the languages that she was yelling. And I hustled away while she was wagging her finger at me angrily and saying a bunch of really angry things. And I know it wasn't the right thing to do because if everyone that went through the Louvre touched the tapestries, they'd all be gross and discolored. But honestly, right now, if I'm if I'm being honest, full disclosure, I have no regrets and I'm glad that I did it. <laughs> the next thing, the next one on my list wasn't really so much about touching it, but more about how I got to touch it and what happened after I touched it. So a few years back, I was in Huatuco uh, in Mexico and there I was there with some friends and we were in this little town. It was so beautiful. It's called La Crucecita and it's so pretty and Mexican and lovely. And I was walking through a little shop that had all of these beautiful locally made crafts and there was a wooden skeleton sitting on a chair sort of by the desk where the lady would wrap up your purchases if you bought something. And I was walking through and I looked at this thing and I was instantly smitten. You know I collect skeletons, or if you don't know, now you know that. I collect skeletons and skulls and things like that. And I saw him and I was totally head over heels. And so I started walking really quickly towards him to get a better look. And I shit you not, like hand over my heart, his little arm, his little carved arm kind of jerked up really slightly and then down. Like it was so fast. And I almost thought that my eyes were playing tricks on me, except 
it made a noise when his little carved hand hit his leg. Now, here's the thing. I love me some spooky shit. You know that. But I am an absolute, complete scaredy cat. I am scared of so many ridiculous things and everybody thinks it's stupid, but I can't help it. I'm scared of the dark, trees, letting my dogs out when it's past dark. When I'm scared of windows, sleeping on the side of the bed closest to the door, sleeping with the closet door open. I'm scared to look under things like the couch or the bed. I'm scared of being the last one up a set of stairs, scared of whistling at night. I'm scared of TVs that aren't turned on and blah, blah, blah. I could go on and on, but this could take a turn and everybody's going to think I'm insane. So I'm just going to leave it there. But my point is, that I am a fucking chicken. And at the first sign of anything creepy, normally Tony would nope the fuck out out of wherever I happened to be. However, for some reason, when that little skeleton's arm moved and I heard it hit his leg and there was no explanation for why that would have happened because nothing was close to him, nothing was by him, I ran to him and I had to have him. I had to have him. So he had a price tag and it said 1,950 pesos, which at the time with the dollar was about 110 Canadian, I think. So I literally picked him up like a lost child and I brought him to the lady. I wasn't even going to argue or haggle about the price. I just wanted to have him so badly. And so I get this guy up to the desk and the lady goes to try to take him out of my hands and she says no and I'm looking at her like bro my Spanish isn't like top-notch but I'm pretty sure this woman just said no and so I like as she was taking him out of my hands I pulled him back and started reaching for my purse and she tries to reach back for him and she's saying no no and I'm like, what the fuck? Did you hide like a dead child's soul in this or what? Like, I'm trying to give you money. I'm not arguing. Like, let me just get this guy and go. And so I hand her all of the money that's on the tag. And she says, not for sale. And I'm like, he has a fucking tag. So I lift him up and I point to the tag and I'm not letting her touch him. And she has this really dark look on her face. And I'm just like, girl, I will ruin your day if I don't get the skeleton. Like, I didn't say that out loud, obviously, because I'm not a psycho, but I definitely thought it. Like, I'm going to ruin your day if I can't take this guy home. Like, I need him. And so this lady looks dark and angry, but she grabs my money off the counter and she started grabbing paper to wrap him in. And she lays the paper down, she grabs tape, and I put him onto the paper and I'm just like, we're making eye contact and she angrily starts wrapping him and it's super uncomfortable, but I'm not giving in, obviously, because this is me and I don't really ever give in, even when I am wrong. Um, so I just wait until she's done and then the second that last piece of tape is on, I grab him so fast and I hurry out of there before she can call any fucking mean nephews for backup. So... Fast forward a few days later, we're on our way home and I have this huge skeleton. He's about three feet tall and he won't fit in my luggage, obviously. And I know he's going to be squishing my feet on the plane for the next seven hours, but honestly, I don't even care. It's totally worth it. So I'm at the airport. I'm filling out my departure papers and it asks if you're bringing anything home with you. And sometimes I don't think. And so I just write skeleton. 
Um, so this turns out to be extremely concerning for the people taking our luggage and our passports because they read on my declaration paper that I'm taking home a fucking skeleton. So they try to ask me about it. And my Spanish is terrible. I can, I can't really speak it, but I can read it better if that makes sense. Um, but my Spanish is awful and their English isn't so great. And so they're like, what is this? And I'm like, it's a skeleton because he's wrapped in paper. They can't see it. And I just wrote that I had a skeleton on my declaration paper. And so <laughs> they say, like, what kind of skeleton? And I say, I don't know, a person. And they look at me and I look at them and it still hasn't clicked in what I just said. And so they're like, it's a skeleton of a person? And I'm like, yes. And they, they're they looking at me like I'm a psycho. And I'm looking at them like, are you fucking idiots? And then they're like, are you sure this is a person's skeleton? Or is it an animal? And then I say, why would I have an animal skeleton? And then it hits me. I just tried to declare that I was taking a fucking human skeleton on a plane. And so I burst out laughing because that is a really bad habit that I have when I'm nervous. And I try to explain, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I didn't understand. I didn't realize when I wrote that I was being too literal. This is just a wooden carving in the shape of a skeleton. And then everyone seems very relieved and they're very ready to be done with me. They don't even open it. They just put a tag on it and send me and my paper wrapped three foot tall skeleton on our merry way onto the plane. So now once we land, I have to go through security again. And one of the things that they ask you on your declaration page is, are you bringing any wood products home? And again, sometimes I don't think. And so I say no, but this time no one bats an eyelash at me, which is shocking because usually Canadian security treats me like a fucking war criminal when I'm coming home from somewhere. So I get this guy home and obviously I have to give him a name because he's so tall and majestic and I really I feel like I feel like I fought to get him here. So I call him Raul and he fits in with all of my other skeletons perfectly with one exception. It turns out that they ask you to declare wood products for a reason. So for weeks, I keep finding bits of white dust on the floor underneath where I had Raul sitting. And not only that, but every once in a while, I would see his leg move out of the corner of my eye or hear the sound of his hand hitting his leg. So it turns out that Raul had some bugs. <laughs> Probably like a type of termite or something, I guess. So I take him, I wrap him in a garbage bag to kill them, and I put him in the freezer for just over a month. So to this day, knock on wood, hopefully that killed the little Mexican termites. Sorry, um, no more bugs. But I will tell you this. I believe in a lot of weird things. I know that. But Raul is not just a carving of like a little skeleton. He has an energy about him. Like you might even call it a presence. When I move or dust anything around him or literally just be in his general section of the living room where I have him sitting on a shelf, I always feel like I have to talk to him and tell him what I'm doing and I will find myself saying stuff like, oh, I hope this is okay, Raul, or I'm just trying to be nice or whatever and I will instantly be covered in goosebumps, like head-to-toe goosebumps. Even making notes about him and talking about him right now, I have goosebumps all over my arm and I don't really like to think that he's haunted because that's a scary thought for me, but he's not 
just a regular, he's not an inanimate object. Like, I really wonder sometimes why the lady was so against me having him and she tried so hard not to let me have him. Like, don't put him there with a price tag if you don't want some girl to take him home. But yeah, every once in a while, I still hear like a tiny clunk coming from him. Not as often anymore. Maybe he's happy here. I don't know. Maybe he really likes that spot or how I treat him. But I definitely still hear the a noise coming from him every few months. And I go out of my way to avoid moving stuff around him or disturbing him as much as possible. So I don't know what that means, but I'm not the only person that's felt like that either. So ooh, I think I have a haunted skeleton. Anyway, so the next thing that really stands out for me again was in Ireland, but I didn't touch it with my hands. I will say though that it is the most famous kiss that I've ever had. Did I just say famous with a t? I think I did. Anyway, most famous kiss. The Blarney Stone, obviously, this bad boy does not make it easy to kiss either. To get to the Blarney Stone, you have to climb up to the peak of Blarney Castle on these super old and claustrophobic staircases from the 1400s. And then once you get up to the top, you have to lean backwards over the edge through a hole that looks straight down 90 feet to the bottom of the castle. And then some bored Irishman holds your waist while you bend your spine all the way backwards and uncomfortably kiss this fucking stone, which is super worn down from hundreds of years of kisses and also is not a color that I care to think about putting my lips on again because for sure, no one wipes that thing down. I looked it up. They don't wipe it. Um, I wonder what they're doing now, like with all the COVID stuff. Maybe they do wipe it now. I don't know. But anyway, there are a lot of different legends about the Blarney Stone. No one actually knows what's true or what's legend because, you know, Irish people. I'm Irish, so I feel like I can say this. They love their stories. But some fun kind of like facts about it are... In the past, people, instead of kind of bending backwards, people were hung by their heels over the edge of the parapet to kiss the stone until someone died. Now, someone holds your waist and you have to bend backwards and hold on to these big iron handrail things to make sure you don't fall. The stone has been, actually been in that spot since 1446. And according to all of the Irish legends, this is the only thing that people seem to agree on. This kissing the stone is supposed to give the kisser the gift of gab or eloquence or being skilled at flattery. And another really crazy thing, the Blarney Stone is said to get over 400,000 kisses a year. That's that's a lot of kisses. Anyway, there's a lot of other really cool things about Blarney Castle, though. Like, they have a poison garden, which is so beautiful. They have these beautiful wishing steps, but this episode is supposed to be about things that I've touched, so I have to move on. Maybe I'll do that one another time. But the last on my top five things that I've touched was someone's face <laughs> in the catacombs. I guess it wasn't their face. It was more just like the front of their skull. But if you haven't had the absolute joy of going to the catacombs yet. Probably one of my favorite places on the planet. I'm just going to give you a quick history because you know I love my fucking history. So Paris in the 17th century hit a really yucky problem and that was its cemeteries were overflowing. So many people had lived and died in Paris that the graves were overstuffed and corpses were becoming uncovered. Like there was not enough space in or around Paris to put any more bodies. So 
someone, some brainiac in the Parisian government decided, hey, you know what would be cool? Let's take a shit ton of these bodies and put them into the limestone quarries that are all abandoned underneath the city. So in 1786, they started with the oldest and biggest cemetery in Paris at the time. I don't think it's the biggest anymore, but it was. And it's called Les Innocents. Um, My French is terrible. (laughs) So because the people around that cemetery were sort of complaining the most about always smelling rotting flesh, and also around that year, they had a spring that had a bunch of really, really bad rain. And it was so bad that rotting bodies spilled through one of the surrounding walls. So it took the city over 12 years to move all of the bones And it's estimated that there are over 6 million bodies that line the catacombs. When you go to the catacombs, you have to wait outside these giant metal, really foreboding doors. And once you get in, you have to go down a super tight spiral staircase that goes 20 meters underground to these limestone, abandoned limestone quarries. And once you get to the bottom, you go through these limestone hallways with stone sculptures and corridors with pillars. And I know I'm going to absolutely butcher this pronunciation. So if you speak French, I don't want to fucking hear about it. But you kind of get up to this really tall doorway and like everybody's really excited. And there's a big sign at the top of the door that says, Arrête, c'est ici l'Empire de la Mort, which literally means stop. This is the empire of the dead. And that's like what you walk into when you first kind of get to see this like big, amazing thing. So walking through the catacombs is something like I can't even begin to describe it properly. I don't have enough words and I'm not that good at them. There's six million or more bodies in around 300 kilometers of tunnels. That's a lot. It's a lot of bodies and they have them it's like skulls and femurs and everything. And you feel a lot of energy, but it never really felt like bad. I never noticed like a bad feeling. It does feel, it's creepy, but it's peaceful. Maybe just a couple creepy spots. My mom has another opinion on that. She was really uncomfortable there, but I didn't find it that bad. Now, as you know, I am a photographer. So obviously I was doing my best to try to get as many pictures as I could with the help of my cousin, Sarah and Jillian. Um, Sarah was using her phone flashlight to help light up some parts so that I can try and get some clear photos because I have a camera that doesn't really handle low light very well and the catacombs are obviously very, very dark. So at one point I was crouched down with my camera and I was trying to get a picture and obviously I lost my balance because I'm extremely clumsy and just by instinct I reached out my hand to brace myself and stop my fall And I put my hand right over someone's face and I felt teeth in my palm, which is a really, really strange feeling. And out of just like a Canadian instinct, I guess, I said out loud, oh my God, I'm sorry I touched your face. It's a very Canadian thing to do to apologize to a dead person, I guess. Maybe their spirit heard me. I don't know, but oopsies. Sorry about that. Anyways, the Oh, the catacombs. I still, uh, one of the pictures that I got, I have it blown up on a big canvas on my living room wall. And all of these places that I've been to with things that I've touched, I actually have photos for a lot of them. So I'm going to post those on all my social medias so that when I 
post this episode, you can kind of see the pictures that go along with them. So a couple honorable mentions goes to uh, the table at Kittler's Inn, which I'm actually doing notes on right now for a separate episode. It's going to be a Mimosa Mystery Monday episode. And also a guy's toupee that I accidentally pulled off at the opera. That story you can hear if you listen to the episode Tony and her pal Gary. So I think for now I've probably rambled <laughs> I've probably rambled on for long enough with this top five list. I definitely want to do more of these episodes because I had a lot of fun getting notes for this and kind of doing just like a little bit of research to make sure I had my dates right and also going through the photos that I want to post on the social medias to go along with this episode. So I hope that you enjoyed this one because I had a lot of fun making it. You can send me your topics or your stories to ProseccoWithTony at gmail.com or you can find me on all the social medias like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Prosecco and Ponies and you can find my art at BrittanyJillPhotography.com. Anyway, that's it for today, you guys. Um, have a great day and stay hydrated, my friends. Bye.